dangerously close. This episode was brought to you by William Mitchell Audio. Now, some people in the wrestling community have said that I'm going to run out of William Mitchell Audio jokes just because this is the 34th William Mitchell Audio ad. Well, here's a joke for you. William Mitchell Audio is going to remix everything I just said into a fantastic bounce New Orleans beat. And then we will start the interview. Some people on wrestling community have said, I'm going to run out of My guest today is Casper Turkile. Oh, I'm not even on the thing. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Casper's work explores how we'll make meaning, deepen our relationships, and experience beauty in the 21st century, whether convening, studying, writing, or speaking. He's always weaving together tradition and innovation, levity and profundity, the secular and the sacred. He finds ways to ennoble the everyday and create the conditions for joyful belonging. He believes in the transforming power of small groups, the vitality of commitment, and the liberating potential of good theology. And he delights in talking with soulful corporate leaders about ancient wisdom and with forward-thinking religious leaders about trends shaping our culture. Casper is the <laughs> author of The Power of Ritual the co-founder of the Nearness Sacred Design Lab and the podcast Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. His work has been featured in the New York Times, Washington Post, Vice, and on NPR. He has spoken widely on community trends, ritual, and emerging spirituality at the Aspen Ideas Festival, Cannes Lions Festival, Stanford University, numerous religious institutions. And now, finally, he's made finally. it to the big, to the big time. My, my views are my own podcast. <laughs> I've been dreaming of this day when I was a little boy. <laughs> you have you have reached the ivory tower of the my views are my own podcast. What's up, Casper? Hey, how you doing, Doug? Great, great to be here. Thanks for having me. And it's great to have you. I'm I'm glad we finally got this worked out. I know we had a a couple snags. I. Uh, had you had the, the baby. I had a, <laughs> it was a, it was an emergency. I think I uh, oh I, I emailed you from the hospital. Yes, I was like, this guy needs to get off his phone and tend to his family. <laughs> yeah, I, I lived in that hospital for a week, and I was like, wow. I was like, oh, I think I have a podcast. <laughs> I was like, hey man, uh, I'm not going to be able to do it from here. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But, uh, you know, actually, but speaking uh, so before that, uh, when I when we first started talking about. It, uh, you come in on the podcast. Um, I was like, uh, "Hey, do you want to do a Saturday?" And you were like, uh, "No, that's my Sabbath," and you mm. know, which I just took to mean, "Oh, that's your day off." And I was like, "Okay, cool." But uh, but then later, I I found out that you literally take uh, twenty four hours, no internet, no text messages, no devices, and it's like uh, sacred time. Mm. Uh, why did you decide to make that a part of your life? 
oh, I needed it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Honestly, it was one of those, like, I love people. I'm very social. I love being around people. I love connecting with people. You know, I, I pride myself on that fast uh, email response most of the time. But I just got to a point about eight years ago where I was just constantly overwhelmed and felt drained and tired. And I read this little book by Abraham Joshua Heschel, this great theologian and, and rabbi and educator in the 20th century. And it was such a great, inspiring, practical read because he, he was talking about the practice of Sabbath and the way in which it had sustained people um, through, you know, generations. And I love the idea that it was a, a palace in time. And I, I love that you described it as sacred time because it feels like when, you know, the sun sets on a Friday night and you can see stars in the sky, that's the moment when you kind of transition into the sacred time. And I, I've always loved ritual. I grew up, you know, not in a religious home, um, but in a home that had a lot of rich community and, 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 and ritual life and fun family traditions that now I realize are kind of weird, but, you know, <laughs> make up family life a That's good one. family, man. That's family. Exactly. And so, you know, I started to just like light a candle and sing a little song that I grew up singing in summer camp, which was about like saying goodnight to the sun. And it felt like I was walking across this bridge of like email and inbox and stress and phone calls and work and deadlines into this like ocean quiet, <laughs> yeah. this kind of just idyllic space of, of when no one needed something from me or I felt like no one needed something from me. Or maybe the best way to say it is like I felt I had permission to just rest. And so I would find myself doing things like writing really bad poetry or like drawing even though I suck at drawing it, it was just like space for creativity and and I would have a nap or I would stare out of the window and like if my phone is on I'm not doing any of that shit and so yeah. I, I found it incredibly helpful to just set that time aside and I, I started posting online the work isn't done but it's time to stop every time I was about to turn off my phone and yeah. people have told me since that they like wait for that tweet to like give themselves permission and so I, I love this idea of kind of um, you know, drawing on that Jewish tradition and kind of making it my own because I'm, I'm not Jewish. So I don't want to claim that I, I'm doing the full thing, but it, at least being inspired by it and kind of doing this tech Sabbath, which, uh, yeah, it's been life-saving. That's fantastic. Yeah. So I, I recall I was, like I said, uh, we got a little postponed. I read your book, but it's been a minute. So I, like, you know, it's yeah. not it's as fresh in my mind, nor is my mind fresh at all because I'm, <laughs> I'm severely sleep deprived. But uh, I, I, Doug, can I actually ask you about that time in the hospital? Like, yeah, because it's such an intense, it's such an intense time. Like, was, what, what did, uh, what did like, you learn from it? It was well, so much of it was like being a zombie almost because yeah. I wasn't sleeping at all. Um, yeah. And it was, you know, it was extremely unexpected. My my son was born uh, six weeks or six weeks early. Wow! Uh, but he's extremely, you know, he's. He's good, you know. He's so healthy. All the all the nurses in the NICU were like, wow. "Oh, he's a show off," because you know he was, you know, he's premature, but he was, you know, every yeah. day they're like, "Oh, wow!" Like this is something that you know a lot of kids take weeks to right. Lung like, I, got, I got to I got to take him home yeah. after a week, which is pretty wow. cool. But yeah, the time in there was just so gnarly because I was sleeping on a plastic couch, Ugh. you know, when I was sleeping. But was, let's rephrase that. I was laying on a plastic couch <laughs> and then uh they have this thing called care time which is the time that you're allowed to interact with your uh right. child uh otherwise you're not supposed to touch them because they're still like 
because they are they're supposed to be in the womb still uh right. it's not good for them uh to be like physiologically and, and it's right. not good for their for their brain uh development to be touched or for them to have a lot of sensory yeah so i would just like wait for the care time which was every three hours so every three hours i would go down mm. and eventually they would like let me change his diaper and stuff and it was kind of so it, you know an unforgettable experience yeah yeah <laughs> and so i just intense. yeah just hanging out in the cafeteria just eating like you know grilled cheeses and staring yeah <laughs> everybody it's got totally to know cool. me i got like it was kind of <laughs> weird because they have like, our hospital the hospital we went to uh shout out uh uh saint thomas uh <laughs> like i was uh it's like a it's like extra extra super safe obviously these days so you know there, like there's lots of like like if there was a shooter they wouldn't yeah. make it far because they could like lock them in any corridor in the building but what also wow. means if you want to walk around freely which is what i was trying to do some of the time it's uh someone has to like you have to buzz someone and then someone has to let you through but it got to the point where you know because i was doing a lot of wandering uh it got to the point where everyone knew me <laughs> like yeah. they're like oh that's that guy that stumbles around the halls you know for several hours and they just like i get to the door and they just let me through <laughs> it's like oh yeah we know that guy yeah okay <laughs> he's been here 10 times today <laughs> beautiful wow but then, then it was uh, also got easier uh once my girlfriend could go in a, in a wheelchair which took up a couple of days but once i had her in the wheelchair free access you know they saw us coming they're like let them through yeah. <laughs> mom in a wheelchair <laughs> I love it. The walks became like your your, your daily your route. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, a, a week in a hospital it it's a long time to be in a hospital. Yeah. yeah. My longest time before that was I had a surgery like a, a appendectomy, and that was two days, and I thought that was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, sorry, but it's I, I, no. I'm just con connecting that to the Sabbath conversation because both of them are this idea of like time out of time, right? You're away from your normal life you're away from your normal routines and i think one of the beautiful things about spirituality and ritual is that it helps us cross these boundaries right from like normal life into a special time like on a pilgrimage or a you know week and a half in a hospital or into you know a time of rest and so you know it's a, it's a major change and i i think we're missing so many of the kind of rituals that help us make sense of these big transitions, whether they happen every week or whether they happen, you know, hopefully once in a lifetime. Yeah. Um, but it's it's such a powerful story, I think, because it illustrates it's so disorienting, right? Like when you're in that time and in that space and you're not in control and you're just hoping everything's going to be okay. So I'm so glad it was. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it all worked out amazing. And he's already got like Super cool hair. Uh, do you are you familiar with uh, Jeremy Renner in uh, Avengers? The hair he's got, I, I yeah, with the kind of like mohawk style a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I just I just yeah. posted that. Uh, he, my son was born with that hair, and so I, I posted a, a a side by side photo of him and Jeremy Renner, and I was like, like it's uncanny. He like just straight up has spiky, cool mohawk hair. So I love I'm, it. I feel like he might be a rock star. Trendsetter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hey, I want to, I want to ask you a, a really tough question. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, which is better, uh, sleepless in Seattle or you've got mail? Oh, 
<laughs> easy, easy answer. <laughs> You've Got Mail is the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> okay, just... At least in my book. <laughs> For anyone listening, if, if you think that I'm just, because I do occasionally just jump the rails. Uh, There's a point to that question. The question is <laughs> um, just uh, something that you write about and uh, believe in, obviously, and We'll talk about you. You've got mail. Some yeah. of this, I'm sure, but uh, <laughs> it's the idea that something as simple as mm. watching an old movie mm. uh, can have a deep ritual importance. Yeah. Um. I don't know if like, you know, what, actually, I'm just gonna let you speak on that and like, because I know that you've got mail was kind of like that was your ritual movie, right? Yeah, and it, it you know, I, it didn't start out that way. But I noticed, and I, I watched that movie maybe for the first time when I was 12 or 13. And so, um, you know, I it, it's such a great, for those of you who don't know it, it's this great kind of retelling of, of an old uh, story of a, a movie called The Shop Around the Corner, which I think itself is based on a short story. But it's essentially the, these two people who uh, communicate, in this case, uh, over uh, kind of DM in the late 90s, I think, and then yeah. email. Um, and they don't know that they know each other in real life. And they fall in love on the internet and and in real life that kind of rivals in the in the book business and um meg ryan and tom hanks play the lead but for me a lot of the joy is in the secondary characters and the hilarious like parker posey is just amazing in this movie oh she's anyway. in that i, I don't really yeah. remember all that oh. i've seen it in so long oh she's hilarious um so but what i noticed was that i would come back to this movie when i felt really sad like it would it was you know would be moments where i felt like hopeless or really alone or I I would just want to watch this movie when I wanted some comfort that's what it came down to and I started to realize like huh I always watch it with some Hagen dazs <laughs> like yeah. I always watch it by myself like I actually don't want anyone else to watch it with me like and so I, I was starting to realize like huh there's kind of like a ritualistic element to this and it would also always take me from a place of kind of to use traditional theological words from a place of desolation um, to 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 a place of, of of you know possibility and a sense of um, yeah a, a, a sense that life could be beautiful even if it was hard right now and I think so many of us whether it's listening to a particular album or or rewatching a movie or rereading a book or going to a particular place like we have these things that are important in our lives but we don't necessarily give them the status of being a ritual. And I'm really interested in helping us rediscover the rituals that we have in our own lives um, because they are meaning-making tools. They help us connect to what's most important, the people we love, the values that we hold. Um, and it's 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 hard to you know, do that by yourself, which is why I've gone on to, to do the work I'm doing now. But it really started with noticing these, these you know, watching a movie over and over again, even yeah. though I know what's going to happen, right? Like there's a one way of watching a movie where you're like, what happens in this Marvel movie? And there's yeah. another way of watching, like I know exactly what happens and that's why I want to engage with this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I have uh, I have two films for me personally. Huh. Uh, well, I, as a lot, of people, a lot of people that listen to this already know, uh, the film Aliens by Ridley Scott, starring Sigourney Weaver, and Muppet Treasure Island, and I oh. actually I've done an episode on both of those films. One I is called it. one of them is called "Is Aliens a Perfect Film," and the other one is called <laughs> "The Hundredth Episode." And for the hundredth huh. episode, we just dedicated it to Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> I love I, it. Muppet Christmas Carol is one of my favorites, but I've never seen Muppets uh, uh, Treasure Island, so I need to need to check that it, out. It oh my god, do yourself. Just Ooh. give yourself this gift of Muppet Truck mm -hmm. Island. So obviously, it's it, for me. It has nostalgia. I started watching it as a kid, but it's I think 
I think it's Tim Curry's greatest performance uh, wow. as an actor. I think it's probably uh, Kermit's best performance, Gonzo's best performance. <laughs> what does you mentioned nostalgia? Like, what does it make you nostalgic for? Like, what are you reconnecting with when you watch that movie? The thing about it, for me, and I don't know if this applies in the same way that because I, when I was reading about what you were like when you were saying with, um, you've got mail. you've got mail, yeah. you have uh, you actually like have some other adornments to it like you, you yeah know, you have the hog dawes you yeah watch, you, you watch it alone you do this you know you know right you make it into a, almost a ceremony yeah and i didn't really have that with Muppet island i just started watching it when i was a kid and then just never stopped watching it and yeah. and also just recently did an entire podcast episode claiming that it's the greatest film ever made <laughs> well and now you're gonna like pass it on you know to your kid like oh yeah it, it's kind of beautiful yeah well, i even have i I don't know how much of this story I really am willing to share. Hmm. I don't. I don't want to sound, but I. But I do want to. It's. It's. It's about. It's about that film and it being like a great moment in my life. Yeah. Uh, this is. I was like. I was like eighteen, so I was an adult, and I was yeah. still. You know, I had. I had that on. Still had it on VHS. I love <laughs> and, it. And I, and I would still like. And I had. You know, I'll just go ahead and tell the story. You know what? I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm. Uh, all I want people to know is that I'm not advocating dangerous behavior or, I'm with you. or uh, substance abuse or anything. I'm not I'm with saying you. I'm not saying it's cool or okay to do. But yeah. what had ha- what had happened was <laughs> I um, was conducting an experiment with uh, a substance that was not considered legal, uh-huh. and uh, and just shortly thereafter, after my experiment, uh, the reaction that I had was, "Oops." I took too much. Let's let's not do that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then what I thought was going to be a fun time very oh, wow. quickly was becoming like a I yeah. was not having fun. And, and you know what you have those thoughts. You're like, no doubt. Am I gonna die? Because no I doubt. so uh but what I was and at the like I was supposed to hang up my friends later, but like at this point, like I hadn't gotten, you know, I hadn't gotten around to that. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna watch Muppet Treasure Island. It always yes. calms, it always calms me down. It Safety. always makes me feel yeah, yes. makes me feel safe, happy. It's colorful. It's bright. It's uh, a lot of you know. It's it's a musical. It's Gonzo's best performance. Gonzo yeah. is is excellent in it. <laughs> uh, you know, I sat down. I watched the movie. I was like, you know, I'm gonna let these let this drug wear off and, right. and feel. And then it did. You know, yeah. so like the, the movie the movie over it was over. I felt better. I'd I'd come down and I was like, oh, okay, you know. I I didn't die. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Then, but then my like, and then my night just suddenly became a, so a bunch of my some of my best friends came over, picked me up. I didn't have a car at the time, and then this girl that uh I had been trying to holler at forever called me, and she was like, "Hey, you want to come over and like drink some forties? And I was like, "Do I ever?" And so absolutely, <laughs> <laughs> I attribute that uh, a lot to the magic of Muppet Treasure Island and the you know the ritual therein. I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I love it so much because like one of the cool things about ritual, I always think about it. It's like, um, like traveling through time a little bit, because when you come back to something time and time again, it connects you to all the other times that you've watched it. So now when you watch that movie, not only is it like safety and nostalgia, but it's also yeah. like, you know, <laughs> that girl giving you a call on this like intense experience, which was a little scary, but in the end was okay. And, yeah. you know, you're kind of weaving this tapestry across time with this particular movie. It's so cool. Yeah. And I, <laughs> and I, I mean, and I never tire of it. <laughs> right. Right. Well, that's that's the other thing that I for me was this revelation when I went to divinity school and, you know, we were studying 
we were doing traditional sacred text. So I was like sitting there with the Hebrew Bible and New Testament and things. And I was like, oh, this is, you know, whatever. Like, I'm not so interested in this. But what I ended up being really interested in was the idea that we come back to the same text, not because necessarily the text is different, but because our lives are different. And yeah. the text acts as a sort of mirror. And so when we're, when we're coming back and the text could be a book or it could be a movie. And so like, we actually see new things in the text because our lives have changed. And so I love that it's like, it's never boring because like you're bringing your your new year of experience or you're bringing your new, the new person that you are as a dad, right? To the next yeah. time that you're going to watch this movie. Yes. So there's always yeah. something new in the text because there's something new in our lives. I, I, I did want to ask you about sacred reading because mm. uh, like kind of what you were you were saying speaking about being in, in divinity school and going yeah. back uh further in history it's like when you if you say sacred reading that the average person they're going to think of like a monk right you right know, or totally like someone creating illuminations you know like yeah. that's like the idea you would get but like let's say i don't want to be a monk uh right <laughs> surprised <you know>? <laughs> But you're like you're saying that you know the sacred reading is available to me. It's available to everybody, yeah. right? In, in some yeah. way. And I, I guess a question would be like, how? If it's you know, mm. they'll say that you're kind of like me. Like I don't have a religious, I don't background. Right. I don't have a. It, it can it, it can just be it can be anything, right? It can be any 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 book at right. all. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. So for me, it's not so much what you're reading, but it's how you're reading it. And so sacred reading and the way that I've learned and, and been practicing it is really about the quality of attention that you bring to the text and the questions that you bring to the text and the, the way you interact with it. So, for example, you, you, you mentioned kind of monks in, in you know, some, some illuminated manuscript uh, studio somewhere painstakingly putting their, you know, ink on the, the vellum manuscript. Um, yeah. And a lot of these practices come from from the medieval period, both in the Christian and Jewish context, which are the ones I know best. Um, but so, for example, there's a, a practice in the Christian tradition called Lectio Divina or Lexio Divina, which literally means sacred reading. Um, and what it does is it brings kind of four steps to a piece of text. So you would uh, you would look at maybe a particular sentence or a paragraph or even a single word, and you ask yourself first, what's really happening in this passage, in this sentence, like what's happening at a kind of narrative level. Um, and that's the way we usually read things, right? What's happening in the plot? Do I understand who's speaking? If it's a Russian novel and it's very complicated, often that's already hard enough. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. um, but then in the way that we've been practicing it on, on this podcast uh, and, and for me personally, is then you ask yourself, okay, what else does this remind me of? And so suddenly you're kind of opening your imagination. Let's say, you know, the, 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 the sentence on the pages, um, they walked into the opera house, right? Okay, well, uh, if I have to kind of open my imagination, well, I'm thinking about opera houses, I'm thinking about performances, I'm thinking about walking into new spaces, being intimidated, maybe, maybe it's beautiful, right? You're just kind of really like letting yourself start to free associate wherever your mind goes. So you're opening up the text. And then we ask for the third question, what does this remind me of in my own life? Um, and so I might think about times that I've gone into an opera house. My husband, when I met him, was an opera singer. So I have ended up learning a lot about opera. <laughs> um, so it would make me think of him and my relationship with him and the fact that he no longer does that. And what does that mean? Endings, mm, you know, you kind of really start letting those, those gears run. And then finally, after you've reflected on this, maybe you've talked about it with a friend as they reflected too, then your the final question in in this four step process is 
what what do you want to take away from this conversation? Like, is there something you want to do? Is there an action you want to take? Something you want to remember? And so suddenly this short phrase in a, a story about someone walking into the opera house is like helping me recommit to my marriage, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. because I'm thinking about this person that I love and what it means for us to be married and go through big life changes together. Um, and so sacred reading is just this amazing way of of kind of looking into a mirror and seeing yourself anew. And it, it's really a, a tool of reflection uh, and, and contemplation. And I, I love it because it, it's it's like a, if you're stuck, I mean, I really think you could do this with a phone book to some extent. Uh, like, so, it, but it's nice to do it with a with a book that you love or a story yeah. that you love. Um, but it's, yeah, it's like this amazing tool of, of meaning making, right? Taking something that looks flat and making it three-dimensional. You know, actually, this is something that I that I had meant to say up top, um, but now is as good a time as any. As uh, when I was reading your book, man, it was kind of uh, so. I I very much believe in synchronicity because it's just yeah. so apparent in my life, and also I am so open to it. I see it uh, more than more than others because beautiful. I'm maybe I'm even looking for it, or it's looking for me. Uh, but when I was reading your book, I was like this is the perfect timing to be reading this mm. book because there's so much in it. And I was like, you know, this is so relevant to mm. me right now, you know? Mm. And what, uh, what resonated? What, what, what was, what was feeling like? Well, ah, uh, sacred reading uh, to a very large extent, because yeah. as a matter of fact, I, you know, I just named my son um, after an author. And ah. so, cause uh, he's named after Kurt Vonnegut. So his name's wonderful. Kurt. And <clears throat> You know, in, in a way, uh, you know, when when Kurt Vonnegut passed away, I actually yeah. felt a little bit like that was oh, a yeah. friend of mine that had died oh, just yeah. because I had been so uh, connected to those books and to his writing yeah. for my whole life. And so, uh, similar to the story about the Muppets, you know, uh, there was, I think, when I was a teenager, uh, you know, I was mm. very angsty going through a lot of shit. And probably mm. it, that's when I maybe experienced some of the more, the darkest times in my life, like emotionally. Yeah. And probably it, maybe the lowest I ever really felt is when I discovered Kurt Vonnegut and I read mm. Cat's Cradle mm. and it completely flipped the way I was looking yeah. at the world because the, the book, it's yeah. the way the book, it's the way he writes, his outlook, everything, his ability to look at just the yeah. worst parts of humanity and make it funny. And I yeah. was like, you know what? What am I sitting here being a bummed out fucking bitch? Mm. Like I should just get out <laughs> here and live life, you know? <laughs> So, I but I love I love that so much because you know like that's that's for me why that stupid rom com <laughs> right means so much to me is because that those were the years when I was like figuring out my sexuality living in a boys boarding school where I felt completely isolated you know I like and this movie held out this promise of like what life could be like even for someone that doesn't that felt like you know I didn't fit and the irony is. I end up I ended up moving to New York City because I feel like I'm living in a Nora Ephron movie. Turns yeah. out the reality of doing that, not great. Rent is about to go up 32%. <laughs> like yeah. it's it's awful. <laughs> but you know, it that that I I really I guess what, what feels important to say is like your love for Kurt Vonnegut and your and your real emotional response to his death is not silly. Like that dude changed your life, you know. Yeah. And so yeah. I think like using a word like sacred or, or spiritual for me is helpful because it, it it elevates these things that are so important to us in our life experience. Um, even if maybe to the outside world, they're like, oh yeah, it's a great book, but it's like 
it's not it's not more than that and it's like actually it is like this shaped my life in a profound way and there's nothing more meaningful than than having that kind of impact on someone yeah and there, and there was more, i mean there's more to the uh to your book uh specifically like things that were yeah. very much speaking to me uh, yeah. a lot of it was too about uh community mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and uh as a matter of fact, I kind of like, I think I have, I wrote a little note here about something that I wanted to say. Mm. So it was, what did, I, what did I have? Oh, it's a, well, it was kind of like you, you have a chapter. Uh, it was not, it's, it's, it's a part of a chapter where you talk about yeah. people saying that uh, CrossFit is their church. Yeah. And, yeah. But like, there's so much more. And I mean, that's just, that's one of the ones that really stands out because it's, you know, it's yeah. kind of like a little bit shocking, like people being like, right. And some of the facts you said that people are more likely to choose, like if they're buying a new home, they choose to live closer to their CrossFit gym than to like work (laughs) or like, you know, for convenience. And I feel like for myself, um, I'm in the habit of, uh, of building and participating in communities. Uh, yeah, uh, I always have been, um, but I also know what it's like to feel lonely, you know, Mm -hmm. I kind of, like I said earlier and with the, uh, you know, when I first got into Carvana, yeah, that was kind of like a lonely time. Yeah. Uh, and I feel like also for all of us, you know, since 2020, there was a big for real in feeling like, you know, there's a lot of isolation that just happened that way. And I was kind of just right now, I'm just in this process of rebuilding a lot of connections and community and getting reconnected with old friends, mm. connecting with making new friends. And uh, I guess, there's a question in here. I promise. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's something like you know, what's the importance? Like the you know yeah. the way you think about it. What's the importance of building community, and yeah. how can people do that in a world that feels progressively designed to be more isolating? You're so right. You're so right. And all the data bears that out. Right. We're spending more time by ourselves on average than any any time before. Um, this is the kind of uh, the definitions, but social isolation are like the structural ways in which we spend more time alone. So working from home by ourselves, um, more of us are, are single. We get married later if we get married. Um, the just the amount of time we spend by ourselves is is is, is record highs. We have less uh, number of friends. We have uh, fewer people over for dinner uh, in our homes on average yeah. per year. Just all of those indicators are really really clear. And then loneliness is the quality of our experience. So even if you're surrounded by people, you can still feel lonely because you feel disconnected from them. And so both social isolation and loneliness are, are on the rise. And I think it's because many factors, but what 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 it's resulting in is this sense of uh, feeling more alone, not just relationally, but kind of cosmically, yeah. <laughs> right? Like that, yeah. that, that, that we just don't fit into with something. Um, and the sad thing is that the more we feel that, the harder it is to build connections. And so I'm passionate about this because like through relationships, not only is it massively uh, uh, healthy, uh, right? There's all of this data out now. Um, Julianne Holt-Lundstad is a a scientist who's just written with the Surgeon General an incredible uh, report on the the state of loneliness in America, if anyone wants to deep dive into the science. But she talks about the impact of loneliness being just as bad on our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day or being clinically obese. So like it, it is- Right. And so it, it, it just has this massive impact uh, on our health, first of all. But secondly, it's so much more fun <laughs> to be in community. Yeah. It's harder. It's yeah. harder. And I want to be honest about the costs of relationships, too, because they can be complex. You can be 
you know, you have to do shit for people, <laughs> right? Like yeah. help, right? Helping move house or, or hey, like someone's just had a baby, right? I'm gonna bring over a meal. But of course, what it means is that when you're in times of trouble, you'll you'll receive it too. And so um the, the, the kind of one of the big questions for me is like, what is the social and spiritual infrastructure of the future, because we know that these traditional spaces like congregations and other, you know, like the Lions or the Rotary Club or the local bowling club, like all of that social infrastructure is is, is moving down, is dying away. And yet we have like some signs of life, right? Like a like a like a gym or a or a maker space or a, a running club but not necessarily the kind of places where you get to really go deep with people. And so that, that's been a big impetus for me for, for creating the Nearness, which is this new uh, organization that my, uh, my co-founder and I launched last year, where we're inviting people to sign up for an eight-week journey and we match them in a small group. And small groups, I think, are the perfect size for the kind of deep, reflective conversations that you don't get to have in everyday life. And yeah. they need just a little bit more structure. And this is what I mean by like, the social infrastructure is like what, what what's going to hold you in a conversation um in a way that it isn't just dependent on you and me having coffee and me asking you a you know maybe a deeper question but there's like a prompt and we know it's going to take 90 minutes and we're going to start by taking a couple deep breaths and we're going to end with you know there's like a ritualized way in which you're having the conversation yeah. and it's been amazing to see I mean, and not just here, it can be men's groups, can be recovery groups. Like I, as long as we're in a group somewhere, I, I don't mind what it is, but I just feel like yeah. we all need those spaces um, because without them, life gets life gets rough pretty quick. And even, even frankly, for people who have a fuck ton of money, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, you can swear the fuck you want. <laughs> okay, okay, great. Like, fuck Tucker like, Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. right. But like that, that isolation, right, might happen to... Right, an immigrant worker who's far away from family, but also like super wealthy people who feel like they can't have real relationships with people uh, yeah. because everything is about money. And so it's crazy, like how that how that theme of how that theme of isolation shows up in all sorts of different places. Yeah, yeah, that's actually what one of the things I, I very rarely think about is the plight of the uh, uber wealthy. But, well, but no, but I mean, also they're, how... they're, they're people too. They're people too. And they deserve <laughs> they're people too. <laughs> well, well but, and also their decisions uh... often end up like being really difficult for everyone else. So I was, um, I was, yeah. I was just about to say that, that they deserve uh, friends too, but honestly, not necessarily. Uh, <laughs> 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 I mean, if you're hoarding all that wealth, that could right. be, I mean, right. You know, here's, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go on this long. Because yeah, yeah. people have heard enough of how much of my criticisms of Mr. Elon Musk. But I will say this. Seriously. If Elon Musk had decided to take $44 billion, $44 and, to, billion. and to build uh, hospitals, schools, uh, feed starving people. For real. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on what could have been done with $44 billion. He would be like a beloved figure in society. Yeah. And yeah. he chose to buy Twitter out of you know narcissism and so now he's one of the most hated people on the planet rightfully so but <laughs> yeah. so i know that was but, I, I was that was so far you, you were no, saying no. all this beautiful shit and i know no, no, no. horribly negative thing <laughs> no but i think it actually reveals it reveals something because like when we when we're by ourselves i think the quality of our decision making is more likely to become selfish right yeah. like it, yeah. it's less likely to embody the values that when we really 
reflect are the most important to us. And that's another value of being not just in community, but like in a small group where, where people are up close enough to your life to know what's going on. Um, and, and that, you know, people will say, I don't know, I just watched like John Mulaney's special and he's talking about, you know, th this intervention from these friends, both in person and on Zoom because of his addiction. And like, what an expression of love that a moment like that is. Yeah. But it's it's a confronting moment, right? Um, but it means like, hey, we believe that like you can be better than you are being right now, right? Like that yeah. you can be healthier, that you can be more, you know, more responsible. Um, and like, if we don't, if we don't have relationships of people supporting us and holding us accountable, yeah, you run off the rails and you buy Twitter for forty-four billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, I once again, I, I do, I still feel like I should, I should once again apologize because you were saying all these uh, 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 things, and I was like, oh, here's an opportunity for me once again to air my grievances <laughs> of this Twitter CEO. And, and that is, is not what I meant to do. Um, not at all. But um, um, I was going to say it was, uh, it's going back into like, this is more about like the, the religious aspect of these things. Yeah. Uh, uh, so like, I know that uh, I live in a supposedly very religious country. Yeah. Uh, that's, or that's the impression I get from like very loud, uh, religious right. ext extremism that politicians try to push in the media like that. So you're like, Oh, right. this nation must be very religious because this is all you hear, you know? Um, but on a personal level, I really don't encounter much religion. Uh, yeah. I was even thinking uh, when I try to recall all the weddings that I've been to, which is, you know, mm. been so many weddings and great I, example. Yeah. I can't, I can't remember any that happened in a church, right. uh, but actually, by the way, if you're listening to this and uh, I was at your wedding and it wasn't a church, <laughs> actually, I actually do remember yours. I just, I just remembered, I just remembered your wedding. But, <laughs> but other than that, uh, what I was trying to baby say, brain, baby yeah. brain, yeah, you're good, you're good. But it's such a good example of just this like epic shift, right? Yes, like this yes. real generational change. Like I love the example of weddings because so so many of us are in you know in 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 the place where we're going to them and seeing that the shift of maybe doing it outside, having a friend officiate, right? Like and yeah. and so much of that reveals, I think, the bigger pattern, which is that people do not trust religious institutions to be the moral like interlocutor in their life, right? Because of the 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 sexual abuse scandals in the Catholic Church, the financial scandals in evangelical Christian church, right? Like the, the, it, and the list goes on in every religious context, frankly. Um so people are very skeptical for good for good reason. And the politics that you mentioned is a big part of that in the 90s you had these organizations like the moral majority and focus on the family that weaponized christianity in particular as a tool for like you know anti-women anti-gay anti all sorts of things um and anyone who didn't fit the mold was immediately cast as an outsider and so for the first time in recorded history now in the u.s less than half the population attends a religious congregation. Oh, so wow. even though people, people, even though people who, you know, they'll still say, well, you know, I'm Methodist or I'm Catholic, but they're not going to church in the same way. Yeah. Um, and there's a really, this is a side note, but a really interesting relationship in terms of the, um, the numbers of Trump voters 
overwhelmingly uh, skewed towards people who claimed a Christian identity, but didn't go to a community. And so I think this, this, this isolation and this desire for belonging that we all have, a lot of people were fulfilling by being, by being part of the MAGA movement or being part of, yeah. um, you know, QAnon, right? So that, that's a whole phenomenon in itself that's interesting. Um, but at the same time, you're having more and more people, like it sounds like you and I both kind of fit into this category. I didn't grow up with anything, so was, I didn't leave anything, but I also don't really belong to anything, even though I'm so interested in these questions, yeah. in part because my religious, spiritual life, it, it doesn't fit into one box. You know, I... I, I I grew up in a sort of pagany, Christiany context in England, and I've had deep friendships and wonderful mentors um, uh, from from within the Jewish tradition. Uh, and then, you know, there's there's little bits and pieces like a Buddhist meditation practice that I had for a while. So, like all of that kind of makes me, but like I don't fit into a place. And so, what we're seeing, if you look at the big picture, is more and more personalization when it comes to your spiritual life and yeah. people are putting together a mix of things that fits them. Now that's beautiful on the one hand, because you get something that's really personalized and fits your life. But on the other hand, the more you personalize, the less you share. Yes. And so, yeah. right. That then becomes this contributing factor to that isolation and loneliness that we were talking about, um, particularly in our spirituality. And that again was one of the two big things that we heard when we were asking people about the nearness People were saying, I feel I feel kind of isolated in my spiritual life. Like maybe I'm journaling, maybe I'm meditating, maybe I'm going on a retreat or yoga teacher training or whatever. Um, but I don't really have like a community of people who I who I explore this with. Um, and explore is a key word because a lot of people I think in our place are like interested in the conversations and the questions and the practices even. But like, we don't want to like arrive somewhere and then I'm a member forever. And now I'm on the like yeah. committee to look after the <laughs> building. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that was one key thing. And the second thing was like, as I'm piecing together my own spiritual life, it feels a little bit scattered. Like I'm kind of drawing from all over the place and I'm not sure if it adds up to anything. Yeah. And so trying to give people even just like a structure for exploration was really key to what we're trying to do, because I, th I think otherwise it's overwhelming and a little bit like, oh, I, I, is this legit? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think a lot of us are in that place right now because we're no longer trusting these these big institutions in the same way that previous generations did. I'm uh, a little bit curious like when you were saying, uh, describing just kind of your childhood era yeah. of this. Yeah. And I, I don't know if we had a similar thing, but it sounds like it. Like, so uh, like my mom, uh, you know, when yeah. she was raising me, she, uh, she, was, she was a journalist and an academic. And, mm. uh, but I think, you know, in her childhood, like, so I, she was like the first generation that wasn't right. doing the, like, she was going to do her own thing, but like in her childhood, they were Christians, you know? And then yeah. by the time I came around, I've been mean, like, I remember one time she was like, we're going to go to church. And I was like, okay. And I went to a Sunday school. I remember that. Like, yeah. I don't know how many, maybe went a couple of times. And then, yeah. you know, and then not long, you know, after that, she was like, oh, we're going to be Buddhist now. And I was like, okay. You know, which is kind of. <laughs> yeah. We're just right. kind of picking and choosing right. and, and like trying it out. And so I just picked up on the vibe of that. And I was like, okay, well, you know, that's, I really like that style of it. There's, there's a word for it. And I don't, you, you, I'm sure you know it, but it's, yeah, it's the, it's the, it's that religion where it's like all paths lead to the same uh, truth. And I kind of, maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's, it's, you yeah. know, I don't have a name for what I'm doing, but it's like, it's you know like, yeah. I like 
I like to, I almost maybe consider myself a mythologist in, in that mm. like, I, I really like the mythology. I like the stories that are in there. I like, uh, I love what, you know, the teachings of Joseph Campbell. Oh and, yeah. So and good. so that's kind of like where I stand with that. Does that make, do you feel oh, like in the same totally. way? To totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. And, um, you know, I think what, one of the reasons we might gravitate to Campbell is because Campbell makes this interesting turn where he says, okay, it may not be that these things are like literally true, yeah. but what's important is that we have these myths and we have these rituals because they help us be fully human. And, and that's what I see a lot in our kind of generational context is like, yeah, we know it's not that, but not doing anything is like also not, not it. And so how do we construct a, you know, the phrase that often you hear is kind of this idea of re-enchanting the world. Like how, how do we reconnect with spirituality and, 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 and the, the rituals of community life in a way that are life-sustaining, but also don't demand us to like pretend things are real that aren't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but also make space for the mysteries of life that we don't fully understand. Cause there's a lot of shit that science doesn't know. Um, so I, I, that's the kind of place that I, I see so many people in and yeah, some people might use like more like horoscopy language and practices. Some people are kind of like at the edges of a Christian tradition or a Buddhist tradition, or they're making, you know, they're, they're, they're diving in into some like interesting uh, mythopoetic practice, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but I, I think all of us are in that place of exploring and, and what Campbell gives us are a couple of frameworks, right? Like the hero's journey that, that help us put ourselves into these bigger stories in, in a way that are, open but still guiding us somewhere um i might i might be misquoting but i think i'll get the gist pretty closely uh, yeah i believe bill moyers described joseph campbell as the least religious person he'd ever met <laughs> but the most spiritual oh i love that person he'd i ever love met. that that if you have if i'm i know i'm sure you have but for folks listening, if you haven't listened to their conversation, the Moyers Campbell series, it's a beautiful, beautiful series of interviews. Oh yeah, check it out. It is at your local library, and you can get it on an audiobook. Exactly, easy. easy. Go do it. It's free. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, let's get into something. I have to say uh, is that I'm gonna have to say that yeah, eating food is probably in my top three activities. Uh. Uh, <laughs> the best, the best thing. But, uh, you know, even as much as I love food, uh, eating a meal can be kind of mundane and mindless. Mm. Just, mm. you know, just that's how it kind of kind of gets sometimes. And yeah. uh, what is the concept of sacred eating or, you know, what is it mm. for? Or, and I know yeah. that it's also maybe part of like when you were speaking about building communities, that's that it belongs yeah. in that category as well. Big time. Yeah. I mean. And it's so interesting how how COVID has, I think, clarified some things. So there are some things like, hey, recording this podcast, which are just fine online. And in fact, some things are better digital. But there are some things dancing together, singing together, eating together, right? Like massage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, like you just have to be IRL. You have to be together in person. Um, and, and what so often those practices are about are about a quality of presence together. And so for me, sacred eating, again, it's less about the food, just like with the reading, it's less about the text and more about how we engage with the food and each other while we're, while we're sharing a meal. And so, um, you know, I grew up 
it, around our dinner table, we would all hold hands and we would sing this little song about blessing the food. It wasn't a religious one. It was just saying blessings on the blossom, blessings on the fruit, blessings on the leaf and stem, blessings on the root, blessings on the meal and peace upon the earth. And it was just, it was just something we did every time. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was a moment in which without anyone saying it, it was like, we're together. We're a family. And it matters that we're doing this together. Oh, I feel emotional just saying that out loud. Yeah. Because now I live far away from them and I miss them so much. And it's like, they're just little rituals of belonging. And so I, w I wonder if this will change for you actually as, as, as you like step into parenthood. It's like, you know, when, when you're suddenly responsible for creating the culture of a family and thinking about, yeah, what are the rituals that help us know who we are and yeah. whose we are? A moment of, of eating together is a beautiful moment to do that. And some families do, you know, highs and lows or roses, buds and thorns, or just a moment of quiet or breath together, like whatever. It doesn't matter to me what it is, but it does matter to me that we do something. And I now sing that song with my husband when we have friends over for dinner. And I can't tell you the first, the first face that happens is like, huh? And then it's oh, yeah. like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and everyone always is like, I love it, <laughs> you know? And so I, I, again, I think this is just like Campbell. It's a moment in which we get to re-enchant the world by doing something silly, like just singing a song together before we take a first bite. Yeah. And so, yeah, that for me is what sacred eating is about, is that the food becomes a tool for reminding us of what, what's most important. Uh, interestingly, just kind of... Uh... In, in what you were saying there, you brought me to probably, so earlier when I said, uh, when I was yeah. reading your book, it just happened to be the perfect time. Like, mm. uh, and you kind of just hit the nail on the head right there was that, you know, I've never been responsible for a child. I've, yeah. you know, uh, and at uh, at the time, I you know he wasn't born yet, but I you know I, he was coming. I knew he was coming. Yeah, was reading, was <laughs> it wasn't a book. surprise. And I was yeah. like, and I was thinking, and it was truly one of the main you know as i was going through the chapters i was thinking like yeah, yeah like this is this is now my responsibility to create yeah. ritual it's it's yeah. it's important it has to exist what rituals do i think are important what rituals do i already yeah. have you know like it's the kind of stuff that i never really yeah. made much conscious effort to identify or yeah. identify the lack of so and that's one of the things when i was reading mm. i was like god you know i got uh, mm. are we you know are we going to stop being am i going to stop being the kind of person who eats dinner on the coffee table watching right. tv and am i going to start eating dinner at a real table right that's, that's uh, up in the air totally <laughs> yeah exactly still still tbd honestly until the three who knows yeah exactly <laughs> but it's but it's but it's for real and you know one of the things that i i do think is harder for us is that as we've stepped away from these religious traditions we have to make things up and yeah. or we have to, we have to work at interpreting or creating or, or reinterpreting uh, rituals that we grew up with. Um, and if you lived within a kind of clear lane of, of a religious tradition, you didn't have to, you just did the thing. Now, the danger of that is it becomes rote and meaningless and dull, which for a lot of people did. But the benefit is that you don't have to go through the exhausting process of figuring out for each thing, what are we going to do here? You just know what to do because that's the way it's done. And so I, I do think it's worth saying that there are, you know, in this landscape that we're in now, it's like there are some losses. Um, and it's and this, hard, this is hard to do by ourselves. We're literally running a little pilot, a project later this uh, this month for, for parents um, who want to bring more ritual into their home. Uh, it's for kids a little older than than, than you, but um, yeah, so many so many parents are asking this question. Um, and so I, I think there's a real need to to support each other in it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And like, like we were saying, especially if you're not already, if you're not plugged into a religion, exactly. that's going to give you this. Exactly. That's like, uh, yeah, it's like you're a fully loaded situation. Yeah. You're like, oh, well, I'm Catholic. We just do whatever they, exactly. whatever they do. You know, all yeah. the pomp and circumstances yeah. already provided for us. Right. Um, I do have another thing, and this is kind of this, not that none of this, not that this other stuff couldn't be uh, categorized or categorized as possibly an intersection with politics. But uh, there is one thing that I do think for me personally intersects with politics. And I swear, I'm I'm not going to talk about fucking Elon Musk. I was going to say, I'm I'm, I'm like waiting for the Musk moment. No, 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 no. I mean, although he's... you know what? No, just he doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't deserve another moment of my attention. Exactly. Um, exactly. But I was going to say is like, so the environment, that's where I'm going to, that's where I'm yeah. going. We're going to, with nature. And so the environment yeah. is the number one uh, political issue that I get involved with personally. You know, mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. not that I don't, I mean, obviously I care about human rights. I care about a lot. Of, I mean, I care about some, this is environments. I think I love animals. Yeah. I love rivers. I love mountains and I want to, you know, mm-hmm. and, and the rivers and the mountains and the animals can't speak for themselves. And it's right. our responsibility. We're the stewards of this planet. It's our responsibility to do That's it for right. them. Um, and I truly wish that more people felt the same way uh, as me about it. And I wish that, you know, yeah. and a lot of people do, I don't feel alone in this. I feel like I'm part of a gigantic yeah. enormous movement and community, but at the same time, I wish it was bigger. Um, yeah. And, what I was going to say is, you know, historically, uh, people that have a deep spiritual connection to nature have always been better stewards of the land That's and right. more in harmony with their ecosystem. And you and you talk about uh, this mm-hmm. this uh, connection. How can people find ways to break free from the like, mechanized, uh, yeah. capitalized grind of yeah. modern life and develop a like, spiritual connection to nature? Yeah. And also maybe uh, aside from what I just said, you know, uh, what are some of the what's some of the importance of that of that connection? Yeah, yeah, that's beautifully said. Um, you know, it's funny. I was at a, a an event last night. This is a New York thing, which I'm like, okay, well, there's a benefit of living here. Um, it was this wonderful um, performance and conversation between a Hawaiian uh, elder who who led and and chanted uh, a series of, of dances and and songs about uh, kind of traditional stories in the Hawaiian Islands and a young uh, environmental scientist who was also a fisherman and they were talking about the relationship between I love this phrase they talked about the 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 um natural and cultural resources of of their people in protecting um various uh, elements of of uh, of the land and sea. And I think the young fisherman scientist said something so true, which relates directly to this conversation. He said, his recommendation was, well, you, you have to love the place. You, you, and so his, his thing was like, go for a walk, go for a swim, like go be in your environment and love it because when you love it, it'll be easier to protect it. And I think what that points to is this difference between looking at the natural world as something that's separate from us that we kind of, um, you know, get to use for our own purposes, you know, whether it's mining or, or oil extraction, whatever it is, it's there for us. Um, and he he was, you know, moving towards this different way of thinking about it of like, um, Joanna Macy calls it world as lover, this idea that you have this like, that you love this place, right? That it's meaningful to you. And her, her final stage kind of moving through these different ways of thinking 
is, is to not see yourself even as just loving it, but that you are it, right? Like nature yeah. is us and we are nature. And I think when you enter that way of thinking, that paradigm, right? A tree being cut down is you being cut down. And so suddenly it's not like me protecting the rainforest, but I am the rainforest protecting itself. And yes. I, I do not live in that state of mind most of the time. It's really hard because it's right. We feel separate from the natural world. We just do. That's how we live our lives. When there's ants in my kitchen, I'm like, get out of here. That's hard to, you know, you, you I mean, we're not saints. <laughs> right. But, but as a practice, you know, this was something I did during COVID looking at the same tree really in depth every day or like coming up really close to a leaf or even the palm of your hand and like looking at it with this kind of sense of reverence and awe suddenly shifts and it often helps if you go really small or really big right like night sky or a view of the ocean or like something that really takes you out of yourself either in in terms of a bigness or in terms of smallness like we get out of our kind of egoic little prison and and into this mindset of connection um, and into a, a connection to all living things and that we that we are part of that and responsible for it um and so uh yeah that i th i think that's the way in which you know there's some beautiful examples of of using this in, uh, as a political tool as well in the uk there was a program taking members of parliament elected representatives to um just go help and like be in a, a river environment and like help do some scientific research or clean up something and like just spend the day with the river and then have a conversation about the environmental policies. Totally different from when it's just a piece of paper on a desk and we're talking about abstract ideas. I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why, but I think when we have experience, when we have relationship, when we have attention on that sense of connection, um, that whole, yeah, that whole conversation is is a really different one. Absolutely. And I think uh, to, there's I, I hold certain beliefs that I think some people at first glance would be like, well, that's kind of an extreme belief where I, I say things like and I'm not the only one saying this. Like, I mean, there's and there's people that are in yeah. the U.N. saying this, at, right, you know, that I'm saying that a river should be given. Oh, absolutely. The same. The same absolutely. And, and they, you know, in, in New Zealand, that's starting to happen um, yeah. and, and elsewhere as well. And it makes total sense. Like, why why are the human voices the only ones that matter when everything is impacted? And so, and, and it's really interesting. There's such different approaches on this. One way is to look at the economic value of a rainforest or a river and say, this is how much, um, you know, in dollar totals, how much value it, it creates to the economy, to us as humans. Now, the danger is then, that you actually just start seeing it as a product yeah. rather than uh, a, a, itself an inherently worthy thing that has dignity and sacredness. And so a, a different paradigm, the, the one that you're pointing to is to say, no, like th th there is an essential inherent goodness in this river existing and anything, any policies or any business practices that damage this landscape are damaging a living thing and that should not be allowed. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I, I love that you're pointing to that because it's it's a really exciting space in kind of environmental law. Yeah. Whenever I whenever I bring up that uh, the, those type of laws that I, I hope do get enacted, I always uh, think, have you seen uh, Spirited Away? Yes. Yeah. I love the movie. It's beautiful. And I just love the the river spirit. You know, totally. it, it's it, totally. the, the river has a consciousness. And I mean, and does it not? I mean, Absolutely. My, my grandmother, when, when I was very young, 
um, would would take me walking through the forest near where she lived. And she would just talk about like seeing the spirits of the forest. And like, uh, even now I'm like, she's, she's dead a, a little while now, but like, even now I'm like, well, I know she wasn't seeing them, but maybe she was seeing something. And, yeah. and I'm so grateful for that gift because it, it just allows for a, it's a different type of reality and there's space for that. Yeah. I think we could tie it back into uh, when we said, when we were talking about uh, the power of myth and Joseph Campbell mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. his uh, lectures where, and you know, I know that someone who might be extremely inflexibly religious might be offended to mm. hear Joseph Campbell say, uh, the teachings of your religion are myths and they mm. are the exact same. So here in this, uh, native American myth that, mm. uh, I've, that I found from the Cherokee, uh, mm. this is, this is what they believe. This is the exact same thing as this Bible story that you believe, which is the exact mm -hmm. same thing as this, uh, story that is in the Quran. And it, and what he's saying is like, none of these 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 are not factual historical accounts, but they all have value, and they all have, you know, great value. If only you could yeah. see it that way. Is this the, right? Th these are these are fundamental human truths. These are the uh, these are the things that this is the invisible world. It's the world beyond what we can see, but it is just as true and tangible as the world we can see here and my laptop yeah. and this microphone. You know, it's that's right. So that's right. I think. I love uh, it. Well, the reason I brought that up is when you're saying your grandmother talking about yeah. the forest spirits, you don't have to truly believe that there's right. a, uh, that there are fairies or, you know, right. <laughs> whatnot totally. to, to understand that it can be exactly as true that there are forest spirits. It's just, 100%. if you can 100%. just open your mind to another way of thinking, I don't know. I, I, I believe. Love I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. And it's, and it's, Ah, there's so much, there's so much to say on this. I, I'm totally with you. I, I think it, 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 if you want to be mechanistic about it, it's like, it's, it's another way of experiencing reality that makes life more beautiful. And like, yeah. isn't that worth it? Yeah. Um, you know. <laughs> so why, why not? Yeah, yeah. Casper, I got to tell you something, man. We are getting dangerously close to the lightning round. Um, okay. Great. I don't know if, if you know how the lightning round works on this podcast. This is the part where. I ask you questions just like super fast. Great. And you just kind of just gut reaction. Uh, Deal. You know, uh, <laughs> um, I did not write this lightning round. I actually recently I haven't been writing any of them. So they've been getting so I never know what we're going to get. Uh, wow. This, All right. Written by co-producer Colleen. Uh, this will be the first time I'm reading it. And so I will be with you. Uh, I love it alongside you, and maybe maybe we'll do a couple <laughs> together if, uh, if nice. we get if we get stumped. Because this, I'm looking at it right now for the first time, and it looks like this might be. Some people really get such easy lightning rounds, and some people just get the hardest ones. <laughs> well, we'll see which one you got. Okay, this lightning round. <clears throat> uh, for each, sorry, for each of the fictional characters, say how they either do a great job of incorporating sacred ritual into their lives. Or Ooh. say say how they need to do a better job. Nice. Okay. Okay. This is. Let's just go ahead and get into it. Uh, Beavis and Butthead. I have never seen or read any Beavis and Butthead, so I'm gonna oh. I'm gonna guess that they they have a little work to do, but <laughs> they certainly have a really strong and beautiful relationship, which I'm sure is ritualized in various ways. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I. I'm surprised. I'm surprised you've never seen Beavis and Butthead. I'm not going to demand you go see it. It's, 
it's not <laughs> it's not that crucial but the the ritual of beavis and butthead is to sit down and watch mtv and talk go. over it i love i it. i wouldn't say that's a poor ritual i think that's a that's a decent it, it works decent for them ritual. exactly yeah. let's not yuck their yum <laughs> all right um uh, all right here's one that's kind of uh kind of interesting uh barney Oh man, you're really catching me here because I didn't grow up in the U.S. So oh, all of these yeah, kind of American. Is, oh, no. oh no, I believe these are all. <laughs> this American is the this is the shit. purple dinosaur, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, he okay. So Barney employs many rituals, like the cleanup uh, song, clean up, clean nice. up everybody everywhere, clean, nice. up, clean up everybody to your share. So I love that songs. Songs is the way forward. <laughs> I love Barney. Go Barney! <laughs> all right, Barney, you're doing great with your rituals. I think they're uh, they're bringing out a, a new Barney, but uh, apparently. But thank God Tucker Carlson's gone. I think he was uh, upset and uh, telling everyone that the, the new Barney was going to be woke and and therefore don't show your kids this basic educational show. Uh, <laughs> Cookie Bye, Monster. Oh, you must know Cookie I, Monster. I certainly know Cookie Monster. I feel like Cookie, like I, Cookie Monster, like I, I um, maybe doesn't quite have the uh, eating rituals, but just the eating. <laughs> yeah. He, does, so yeah maybe, he does not seem to ritualize his eating at all. I don't, I don't think he's very present and, and engaged. <laughs> maybe maybe he offers a blessing before each cookie. Maybe Cookie Monster would would, would uh, really enjoy the cookie. Uh, but would, uh, I'm right yeah. with him. It's hard to do. <laughs> I, I, I follow Cookie Monster on Twitter, and I, I fucking love it. Uh, but yeah, I would say maybe to improve the ritual, Cookie Monster can maybe try to like, I, I don't know, make it a community thing. Now, the thing is, he doesn't want to. It's yeah. really, it's, it's, a, it's a pure He's like, it's for him. thing between, it's, it's, a, it's between right. him and the cookie. So maybe it is a good Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving forward. Oh, uh, this might have made it over to the UK. Dexter? Mm. Um, this, oh God. <laughs> and not the, not the murderous, um, Yes, the TV the, show. Oh, the, that one. The serial killer that kills. Okay, the serial killer. He has a very, oh, oh very profound he kills ritual. serious killers. Oh, he kills serial killers. I did not know that. Um, I, f- I feel so bad that I'm asking you a lightning round. You literally have never seen any of these characters. I was like, if you, if you, uh, yeah, there's plenty of other uh, categories or characters I would know, but these. these I can, ones I can I tell you Dexter's ritual, and you can just yeah. Okay, I, is so, is okay. So once Dexter has like identified a serial killer. So he yeah. is a serial killer, but he's like a good serial killer. Interesting. So when he catches another one, he doesn't kill them right away. He like catches them and then like takes them like back to like, you know, a lair. At which mm. point he like shows them like photographs of people they've killed and like kind of like lectures them on why they were bad. Wow. And then kills them. Gotcha. Interesting. <laughs> so like do what I say, not do what I do. Okay. Yes. I think I think there's some work for Dexter to do here. Um <laughs> Maybe maybe a little self reflection. Maybe we need a little Dexter intervention. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to say. Hard to say. I'm not, I'm not even. I can't believe this one's okay. You know what? You can even just say pass on this next one. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I did watch Buffy. All um, right, all right. We got uh, one. We got yeah. Exactly. On we got list. one. We've got one. It's a long time ago. I just remember being fascinated by Willow. Um, I liked her so much. Um, and the uh, the, the the yeah. Okay, um, let, let me think, what about their ritual lives? Well, I feel like high school, any high school has plenty of rituals. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> they certainly had interesting texts uh, and ritual practices. I, I think Buffy could could actually teach us, uh, you know, a little class on, uh, on, on, on ritual activity amongst the paranormal. So I feel like, yeah, thumbs up for Buffy. 
All right, yeah. Buffy, you pass. <laughs> we're we're almost through this, I promise. Oh, this is this is a a strong. There's a slim chance you're gonna have seen this. Uh, Ragnar Lothbrok, the Viking chieftain from Vikings. I, it's a blank for me, but okay. I'm sure he has great hair. Um, <laughs> yeah, he does. He really he's got the uh, sides shaved, long ponytail from the top. From the t- it's nice, pretty sick. It's a strong look. It's a strong yeah. look. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But I'm sure that I'm sure there's some excellent drinking songs. There's some excellent. Well, um one ritual like of the Vikings during that era would be like. When uh when they would go on their raids, they mm-hmm. would like sacrifice a goat to Odin, right? Right. And then they would go and like completely conquer Paris or like yeah, l- you know London, uh, with like twelve guys. So yeah. there's some could be something to be said for sacrificing uh livestock to Odin because these guys seem to be extraordinarily successful with inferior numbers. <laughs> I am gonna avoid getting on the record on that one. <laughs> okay, oh boy. I also I do not I do not advocate killing animals. For- I was gonna say and raping and pillaging probably not top. Yeah, you know, but um, yeah, Vikings look cooler on paper than right. Once you really start dying, pretty terrifying. Pretty All terrifying. Right. Very last one, absolute yep. last one, and then we're done with the lightning round. The Fast and the Furious crew. Oh, I just think of Vin Diesel being so closeted, but that's probably not what we're talking about. <laughs> um, uh, again, a movie series I have not seen. Um, wow, I feel like uh, Colleen and my uh, pop pop culture knowledge is is, is uh, severely not overlapping. But um, I, you know, any any race often has a great kind of. Uh, series of rituals around uh starting and finishing and celebrating so i'm, I'm sure there's some some strong ritual activity there okay. <laughs> I, I will shout out uh one ritual that i from fast and the furious because i of course have mm. seen every single one of those idiotic movies and <laughs> uh more than one time and uh they have a ritual so they all have cookouts at the end of like every you know at the end after the adventure is over yeah. and they're all you know they all have a cookout and whoever is the last per- whoever's late to the table has to say grace. Yeah. Oh, nice. I, feel like I like that. Fine. I like that. That's nice. <laughs> that's good. Okay, Casper Ben, I have one last question. It's the most important sure. question of the day. Um, where can people find you? Where can they read yes. your book, listen to your podcast? Uh, just uh, just yeah. everything, everything uh, that you have out there. Thanks. Yeah. Well, if the, if folks are interested in joining a small group, check out the nearness, the nearness.com. Um, we'll have journey starting in July and again in October. Um, and you can find me at Casper TK on Twitter and uh, on Instagram um, or Casper TK.com is my, is my website. And the podcast is called Harry Potter and the sacred text. I'm going to have to check that out. I've never, read, I've never I've never read the book. So it'll actually be like pretty wild for me. You, like you'll, you'll be like the Colleen of my life. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, Doug. Really, really great to be with you. And yeah, good luck in in the in the journey of fatherhood. Thank you, Casper. <laughs>